What's going on? Welcome into today's Pelicans podcast presented by CQ. I'm Daniel Salerson. Everyone's gearing up the weekend. Hope everyone is safe. I'm Daniel Salerson, as I just mentioned one minute ago. Caroline Gonzalez and Todd Graff and Ine will join me in a second. The radio crew will get you ready for tonight, tomorrow night's scrimmage against the Denver Nuggets. We'll also recap Wednesday's big win over the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, John DeShazer is not with us today as he is getting ready for tomorrow's game and also listening to the new Taylor Swift CD. So we wish him the best in that endeavor. Uh, we will get your thoughts on the CD in a little bit, guys. But first, uh, let's talk about uh, the win on Wednesday against the Brooklyn Nets. We'll start with you, Todd Graffney, radio voice of the Pelicans. You had to call the game from the monitor, something new for you, which you haven't done um, in your career. Of course, it was kind of weird doing the game inside the Smoothie King Center uh, on Wednesday night. What were your thoughts on just how the game went for you from a broadcasting standpoint? Well, Daniel, obviously you and I have talked extensively about that uh, prior to the game, and there was a lot of, you know, apprehension, so to speak. But I, honestly now I feel a whole lot better about things than I did at about 5 o'clock on uh, Wednesday night. So, look, it is what it is. Everyone around the league is in the same boat. And all things considered, I think it went pretty well. And the, the goal is for the listeners to not feel like we're watching the game on the monitor, uh, even though we are, and we're going to make it known to everyone that we are in the Smoothie King Center. But I think we accomplished that, and it's only going to get better as uh, myself and JD just kind of knocked off the rust a little bit. And in the second half, it, it almost felt back to normal, even though we were watching the game on the big screen uh, in the building. But um, I, I really don't have too many complaints. I felt pretty good at, uh, about it afterwards. Absolutely. It was something to get used to. But as you mentioned, I think once everyone got to the second half, it kind of felt a little normal. And that's where I bring in Caroline Gonzalez, radio studio host, sideline reporter, analyst. Caroline, from a basketball player's perspective, you played all the way up until college, you know, it looked really different watching on the monitor, just the screens all around the LED screens. It was a home game technically for Brooklyn. So you saw their logos, everything like that. But as a player, as a competitor, you know, you get used to a home stadium, just the quirks of it all, the depth perception of what you see beyond the court. So from that perspective, Caroline, how do you think it was for the players kind of having to deal with this new normal for them that they're going to have to deal with for the next three weeks? Well, first of all, thank you for coming to me when you said the word normal. So uh, I really appreciate that. Um, first and last but, time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of adjustments for players, but I also think it's adjustments based on how long you've been in the league. So I think the adjustment period for a guy like J.J. Redick is going to be a little bit different than a guy like Jackson Hayes, who just came out of college. He's used to being in and out of different arenas, taking buses. Like there's just a different dynamic that comes with being a college basketball player. And he was just an AAU not too long ago, which is what this has been, you know, compared to. And then a guy like JJ Redick, who's used to a certain caliber of everything around him, of arenas, of locker rooms, of things like of that nature. Not that everything in this bubble isn't state of the art, but there's just a different flow. Um, I think the screens are gonna be a little bit different. I don't know how guys' depth perception um, was I know Alvin Gentry said it took them about a half to adjust and then they got used to it. Um, I'm interested to see how with the game presentation things are added uh, as the regular season or seeding, seeding games come along. Um, so I think that's going to be an adjustment period for players. But I think the thing that I've thought about most, um, and it's something that J.J. Reddick addressed a little bit in his podcast, was um, just how players are going to react after 
the games. I remember him talking to Patrick Beverly and just, um, you know, they were talking about different distractions that they have after the game. But after the game now, all you have is to think about basketball. Before, you could go to dinner, maybe talk to a guy from the opposing team, go to dinner with them. Um, now, you are all basketball all the time. So guys are going back to their hotel room. Maybe they're FaceTiming with the wife and kids, their family. But essentially, all they have is to think about basketball. So if you had a good game, that's all you're thinking about. You're hype. You're ready. But if you had a maybe not a great shooting night, Maybe that's all you're thinking about as you go back into your hotel room, not hell room, into mm -hmm. isolation. So um, that's certainly a part that I'm interested in, Daniel. And, and Caroline, to kind of piggyback on that, we had Trajan Langan on Pelicans Weekly last night, and he basically said the same thing, and that the players are really taking being in the bubble seriously. And uh, another reason why there have been no positive tests, as far as we know, in the last week and a half. We, we knew that a few days ago. Uh, obviously, they're being tested every day. But, yeah, when guys – look, you're you're spending four hours uh, going to wherever you're going to practice, whatever venue it is, then going back, getting the treatment and, and whatever, then going back straight to the hotel room. So they're taking it seriously, and you talked about it. It's all basketball right now. And, you know, we'll see how that goes as the weeks continue. But right now, you, you really – uh, take that as a positive. And I think for us on the outside, sorry, Daniel, I think for us on the outside, it's a little bit, a little bit more eerie just because we don't know everything that's going on inside the bubble. So that leads to more questions and more speculation. But as guys have said in the bubble, at the end of the day, it's just basketball. And that's all they're doing. They're just playing basketball the same that they have for years and years and that they've done in AAU and professionally in college. It's just basketball. So it's a little bit of an adjustment, but I think they feel ultimately better just being able to go in there and ball. What about the atmosphere, Caroline, when we talk about no fans? And I know once a regular season starts next week that they will be adding virtual fans. So if the Pelicans have a home game, there'll be virtual Pelicans fans surrounding the entire the entire arena. But for guys that really feed off that, that hometown energy, some really – does, I don't think it really matters. I think each one more said it just kind of felt like playing basketball, as he mentioned. But how much will that affect guys that really feed off of that atmosphere of a playoff-type atmosphere where there's 15,000, 20,000 people in there? Now there will be basically just players, staff, and, and coaches. Well, it's interesting because I think – I don't know if it's more pressure on players because – and I said that with air quotes. I know you can't see me, but um, – because they know that people are watching. They know that people are watching at home, even though they are not in that arena, in that bubble, they know that people are watching and, and watching at home. And if you miss a high five from Josh Hart, you are going to be exposed yes. on social media. If you miss, if you get stuffed at the rim like CJ McCollum, you're, you're going to get exposed on social media. So even though fans aren't there and there isn't that oohs and ahs from the arena, people are still watching at home and hopefully players know that. But I think the league has done everything in their power to make this as seamless as possible. You talk about the PA announcer, uh, you know, announcing threes, buckets, you know, fouls, everything. I think that and, you know, having the a little bit of music in the background, the, the LED screens in the back, I think the league has done a tremendous job doing everything in their power to make this as seamless um, as possible. Have we figured out why Josh Hart has been left hanging now a thousand times? It just seems like every game someone knew, and, and Lonzo Ball was the one to do it. Todd, have we figured out the science about why it's just Josh Hart that gets left hanging every time for a high five? 
It's one of the great mysteries of the universe. No one knows. And I, I, it's almost become a running joke. I mean, actually, it was a running joke the, the third time it happened to him. But now it's almost expected. And, and when it does happen again, it blows up on Twitter and on social media. So I guess uh, we'll see how many more times it happens to Josh. But uh, it's, it's to our entertainment, that's for sure. Another great mystery is kind of how we evaluate Wednesday's game. Because on one hand, you look at it from a perspective of, I know we're focusing on us, the Pelicans, but Brooklyn was very undermanned on Wednesday night. They lost by 31 to the Pelicans. On the other hand, there were some good moments for the Pelicans. So I'll start with you, Todd. How do you decipher the two? How do you pick out the good spots with just the execution for the Pelicans? But how do you kind of tone it down to saying, okay, this is just – it was an exhibition game or it's an undermanned Brooklyn team. How do you decipher the two? Well, look, we talked about how Brooklyn had pretty much everyone out of the bubble. I mean, they had seven guys that were on the original (laughs) roster that were not in Orlando. So, you know, I like to say it often, that's a them problem. you got to worry about yourself, Daniel. And, look, I don't know how many negatives you can pull out of the other night. I think everything Alvin Gentry wanted to accomplish, they accomplished – in just a 40-minute game. Um, now, look, yes, it's an exhibition, but you got to take care of your own business. Everyone played. Uh, obviously, Derek Favors did not. He rested. But everyone played. Everyone played a lot of minutes. Everyone who stepped on the floor contributed in some way. The veterans only played 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, we saw uh, Kenrich Williams play for the first time since January. We saw J.J. Redick play for the first time since what Feb- late February so it was just about getting your feet wet the the most important thing was participating against another team in five on five uh with a competitive balance I- I- in the entire deal so I-, I just really enjoyed what I saw and look it's the first time they've stepped on a court against somebody else in four and a half months so you just got to knock some rust out and then let's go get them on Saturday. What about you, Caroline? I promise I won't bark in the middle of your answer, but what do you, what do you think about Wednesday night? Um, I, I thought it was good. I thought, like, like Todd said, it was another time for guys to bang around with bodies that they haven't um, in the last two weeks or whatever. Um, anytime you see new people, that kind of drives your competitive edge a little bit more because you're used to – you know, Nico and Fave are are tired of going against each other as well as Jackson. They're tired of going against each other. So maybe that competitiveness hasn't necessarily gone down, but there's a new competitiveness that comes with playing against someone else. So I'm glad the Pelicans had that opportunity. Um, I thought, you know, obviously it was a guy, it was a time for guys to get um, their legs under them a little bit. I think these scrimmages, as much as we might tease and make fun of, you know, their importance, I think they are important for these players because they're a time for their, the players to get their legs under them. It's a time for them to get reps in. Um, I think I think it's essential right now because we've talked about all of this time how important these seeding games are going to be, and essentially these seeding games are more like playoff games for the Pelicans, as we've said. So I think these scrimmage games are more like the seeding games for the playoffs to the playoffs. <laughs> uh, look, and, and you're exactly right. And here's the deal. The Pelicans can't afford to limp out of the gate, uh, Caroline and Daniel. you got to hit the ground in a dead sprint because you got to win as many of these seeding games as you possibly can to get a 
opportunity to get at least to the ninth spot four back of Memphis, whatever happens with Memphis. So you must use these exhibition games to ramp yourself back up to go full speed next Thursday against Utah. Do you think these games are more about the reserves and what we saw in the second half? You saw the Kenrich Williams, you saw Nikhil, you saw uh, Frank Jackson, Jalil Okafor. Do you feel like these scrimmages are more about them from the standpoint of just getting them some minutes? Because depth could be uh, a major advantage for teams come this tournament. Or do you feel like it is more for the starters and how they need to get acclimated with each other, potentially without Zion, because we're still not sure about when he might come back? But is it more about them, or does it not really matter what it's about reserves and stars? It's just more about getting on the same page. I'll start with you, Todd. Daniel, I'm going to answer your question with a question. Okay, we've heard for, what, three weeks now how important depth is going to be in these bubble-type games, the exhibitions, and then the, and then the seeding games. Are you expecting to see an eight-nine man rotation against Utah and the Clippers, or how many are you expecting to see in these games? That's a great question, and normally I don't allow questions coming back to me as the host, <laughs> but this time I will. Um, I don't know how deep Alvin Gentry is going to go on the bench. I think that's going to be – I think maybe in the first two games he might go a little deeper just based on how winded guys might be. Then you just shape. answer the question, Daniel. Then you just answer the question. I think, I think these games are absolutely about the bench, and – uh, are, how many are we going to see Utah and, and the Clippers go deep? I would put our bench up against most other teams' benches in the NBA just because they played so much. I just uh, want the audience to know that <clears throat> whenever Daniel and I are doing these podcasts, we are at a respectable distance from the laptop. And when Todd gets really excited, he gets right up into the microphone. <laughs> and so if your levels are spiked, I just hope Daniel doesn't fix the audio. And so you can just sense the passion from Todd. Yeah, I'm fired up. I got games to call again. What yeah, do you I think, to, what do you want I think me to Todd do? just punctured my screen a little bit here, so it's okay. <laughs> Caroline, without asking me a question, where, where does it boil down to? I guess let's kind of venture into the Denver Nuggets tomorrow night. And, again, this is a good test for the Pelicans, depending on who plays for Denver. We'll get into that in a second. But as far as we, I guess, progress here in these final two scrimmage games, I guess what are you looking out for to kind of piggyback of what happened in game number one? You know, without saying the words, I don't know, I don't know, because <laughs> it, it really is, you know, I hate, I feel like we could do a drinking game to the, to the phrase unprecedented times, but how many times have you had, um, you know, three, four months off where guys are sporadically working out based on how, where they can go to work out, where they can get a gym, where they can get weights, all this stuff, and then you come back and you play games that are this important to the Pelicans. So I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be different, difficult. I think Alvin Gentry and his staff have their work cut out for them because it's difficult to make sure that everyone is ready for these eight seeding games, but also make sure that you have your most prominent players ready and ramped up for lack of a better phrase for these games. Because if you have a, a seasoned, I'll call him veteran, like JJ Redick, who is maybe a little bit more injury prone, he needs a little bit more warming up um he he does need a little bit more rep and ramp up for these seating games but if you have a guy like jackson hayes who just lace up his shoes anytime he wants and 
there and play, I think it's a little bit different. So um, without saying, like I said, I don't know, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. I think you have as many guys as ready as possible. And if I'm those Pelicans players, I'm making sure I am doing whatever I can, whether it's getting the rest I can, putting the right food in my body, stretching, doing everything possible to make sure that I am ready for these eight seeding games. I think that's just going to be on their plate. Yeah, and you have two left uh, tomorrow night and then on Monday night, and then the real thing starts on Thursday. So do you increase the minutes uh, for the starters, which, again, they played 10 to 15 uh, against Brooklyn. Do you increase them incrementally, or do you go about it the way the NFL preseason used to be, because there's no NFL preseason this year, when all the starters would typically play the third game and then nobody would play the final game before the regular season. I think you're going to have to go upwards, if you will, as far as the minutes, because when you play the Jazz next Thursday, I would expect the starters to to go into the mid-20s, maybe as maybe to the bottom of the 30-minute range. But I don't think we're going to see anybody going 35 to, to 40 minutes at, at all, at least for the next couple of weeks. And maybe it just comes down to simple communication. Maybe it comes down to – um, you know, we the Pelicans obviously have a very close-knit team, an enjoyable team to be around. Um, maybe it comes down to, to communication between Alvin Gentry and the players. And, you know, a guy like J.J. Redick or Drew goes up to Alvin and, you know, Alvin and his staff may come in with a plan of, hey, we're going to ramp you guys up 10, 15 minutes. And J.J. Redick goes up to coach and says, hey, I, I need a little bit more. You know, I don't know what those conversations are going to be like if they're even being had. You know, maybe Alvin Gentry says, no, this is what we're going to do. And that's perfectly fine. But Maybe it just comes down to communication between players and, and coaches. I guess really only time will tell, and we'll kind of see how tomorrow goes and then what happens on Monday, whether it's a dress rehearsal on Monday or whether it's rest everyone, make sure the team is healthy as they get ready for next Thursday against the Utah Jazz. Again, tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m. Central Time. You can watch the live stream with if you're within 75 miles of the Smoothie King Center on pelicans.com with mobile app presented by Share Gardner Law. And underneath it will be the radio call with Todd Graffinini, John the Shazer, Caroline Gonzalez, and myself, as we'll bring you action for all three scrimmage games at the course of the restart. All right, from kids in the background, from dogs to a dead orchid in Caroline's apartment, we will say <laughs> goodbye on this Friday. We hope you have a fantastic weekend. Make sure you tune in to Pelicans basketball tomorrow night. And on Monday, the television crew will join me on the podcast as they will make their restart on Monday against the Milwaukee Bucks. We look forward to having Joel Myers, Antonio Daniels, and Jen Hale on the podcast. Until then, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by C. Go Pelicans!